Are you tired of hearing mental health from a superficial view and want to hear about realistic views? Well, you come to the right place, a space where healing is central, but also normalized. Your hosts, Donika and Myra, who are in the mental health field, will explore topics to help promote healing in your everyday life. Through our podcast, you will get the real and the work to focus on your healing. Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast. All right, y'all, we are back with another episode with Asha. Um, you'll learn more about her, but but first, before we hop into our episode, Danica will start with a random discussion question. Okay, random discussion question. Um, if 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 okay, let's say that mm-hmm. it never got dark, right? There was always sun. <laughs> there was always sun shining because I ain't even gonna get into the astrology and all of that neuro. I don't know. The, I don't know the piece of what it really is right but let's just say it was always sunny outside do you think that that would impact like your mood and like your daily living (laughs) (laughs) so like if there was never light ever or like maybe there was light and then light went away no like there was only light there was no darkness like there was always light like we never asked the like how Alaska is, Danica? Alaska don't never get dark. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I've heard that too. I heard it doesn't really I don't know. I think I think yeah. um I think overall you'd be a happier person. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I think like sunshine and light. I, I'm a lover of like bursts of light. So those things make me very happy. Um I think people would generally be happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it makes me think about like you know uh like seasonal affective depression disorder in a sense mm-hmm. of like like, uh, like when it's rainy and when it's like all uh like gray outside and even during like uh like the winter months people can be affected like their mood um but also uh just like that change i think you know we get used to structure and certain ways of, even when the time changes i think sometimes you know it'd be like freaking mm-hmm. us so, <laughs> i think it'll be some i think it'll be some positive like you're saying for people's mood of uh, those who like really need well we all need light and like sunshine supposedly it helps with like you know endorphins and our serotonins and all of that stuff but i don't know so i ain't gonna lie y'all kind of like um you know the, the nighttime sometimes <laughs> you know like it's certain things I think about like I like to go see um like drive-through movies I don't want to see it in a day I'm just you know just thinking of stuff that I'm like no I actually would rather like nighttime fits better for certain things mm-hmm. oh, definitely yeah Okay, yeah, so that. <laughs> that was very random, y'all. It was like top off, off the brain, off the brain. I can tell. I can't believe you to know Alaska was like that. I don't believe it. Still, I'm gonna have to do my own research. <laughs> I'm not gonna play with you. It, it's not. It can't be. It just can't be always. It is. It's been like I, that. I have to look it up. But yes. right, let me let me look it up. But go ahead, Myra. All right. <laughs> so today's guest is Asha Boston. She is a filmmaker and community activist. Asha currently serves as the founder of nonprofit The Dinner Table Documentary and CEO of Passion Fruit Vineyard Productions, LLC. 
a multimedia production company that creates branded content and program development for various nonprofit and commercial entities. In June of 2016, she was honored by the Obama administration White Council for Women and Girls as a nominated change maker at the United State of Women's Summit. In January of 2019, she began a year-long fellowship at the IFP Made in New York Fellowship in, for her debut film series, A Time Before Kale. She most recently worked with Nike's Nike by You and Cultivator to design a limited edition Nike Air Max 270 inspired by A Time Before Kale film. Wow, that's dope. So oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about you? Um, how did you both become a filmmaker and a community activist and whatever else you feel like we should know about you? Sure. Um, I think community activism is in my blood. <laughs> um, no one in my family um, really would, I guess, like identify themselves as community activists, you know, out there on the front lines protesting or, you know, you know, being kind of like figures and faces of a leader and movement in different ways. But um, just through their actions, they are very selfless people. I come from a family that's very community oriented, that cares a lot about the well-being of those around. And so just from growing up in that environment, um, I don't think it kicked in until after I graduated college, like, oh, whoa, this is, this is what I do and this is who I am. So um, for a majority of my life, I was very interested in like a career in fashion. And then I decided that journalism would be it for me. Um, it seems like a jump, but at the time, journalism felt a little bit more realistic. And um, I started working with Teen Vogue when I was 16. They had a program called the It Girls program where you were kind of like an influencer before being an influencer was a thing. And through that opportunity, I was able to build my resume and immediately start working part-time for different outlets throughout college. And um, during my senior year of college, <laughs> I took a film class and that changed everything. And it was such a beautiful experience because I had the opportunity to create what's now my nonprofit, um, but then was just a documentary called The Dinner Table, um, centered around this idea of showing how multidimensional Black women are when we're in like table spaces. Mm -hmm. And it was created to be like this visual antithesis of like what you see on reality television when Black women come together. And um, yeah, it was my first film. It, it was not <laughs> the greatest production value, but I was passionate about telling the story. And I think because of my experience in journalism, I became a, a skilled storyteller. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just from creating that body of work, I started visiting schools and showing, you know, young girls like, oh, look, this amazing thing. We can empower each other as Black women. And then I'll never forget the day that I got challenged. And I'm one of those like weird people that really enjoy challenges. So <laughs> a student was like, oh, this is cute, but this is not my life. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and it was like kind of a blow to my heart because it's like, here I am thinking I was doing this noble thing by inspiring girls with this, you know, documentary I made. But now I'm realizing that you shouldn't just be inspirational. You should be active. You should be out there making a difference. And so I decided to make it a reality for that young girl. And the first dinner turned into a very large dinner. <laughs> and then we just kept planning dinners after that. And it snowballed into a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, but at heart, you know, I'm still a very passionate storyteller. So um, I would say around the same time, the dinner table started to take off as a community organization in 2015, 
um, I couldn't shake the film bug and just started thinking about how I could tell the story of being displaced in your own home. And that's where A Time Before Kale came from. So I don't know, like, I think over time, I start off wanting to tell these stories about representation and about, you know, our lives and, and where we, when and where we enter. Um, and then they end up resonating with people and turning into movements far beyond what I could have ever imagined. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, I know I know we kind of touched on it about uh, the dinner table uh, documentary, but in particular, if you had to say, like, what was your inspiration and kind of go into detail on creating the dinner table talk? Um, sure. Um, so... <laughs> It came on, on the heels of like, again, like taking that film class and being inspired to tell a story through a visual medium. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember talking to my professor about the different things that I could do. And he was very encouraging about me getting out there and filming something, anything. People make movies on iPhones. I'm like, yeah. And originally I wanted to do a documentary on an uh, individual and the change he was making in his community. But you know, with just timing and scheduling, it didn't work out. And so I remember feeling pretty defeated. It was the spring of my, well, we were kind of going into the spring of my senior year, but, you know, at that time, I'm supposed to be choosing the classes for next semester and figuring out, like, what jobs to apply to post-grad. But what I ended up doing was, like, trying to figure out how I wanted to make a documentary. And I remember one day going to my professor's office, Dr. Tolliver, and just venting to him about how frustrating it was to be so passionate about something and feel these like invisible like forms of obstacles where it's like you want to tell this story, but you, you don't know how or where to start. And then like, like divine intervention, I leave his office after he empowers me to like email that guy and tell him that I'm going to make this film. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm walking back to my dorm and I go on Instagram and I see this prompt by Essence Magazine and they were like, we're looking for films on multidimensional Black women. And I'm like, I can do that. And I'm like, after I email this guy. <laughs> but then like, by the time I got to my room, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I could try this, this Essence thing out. And I'm a lover of research. So I started researching why they were making this contest. And it was because they felt like at the time, they surveyed their readers, and a lot of Black women were very displeased with how we were portrayed in reality television. And so I'm like, well, instead of me making a film that you know, was just like cute or funny, like, why don't I just speak to the heart of the problem, which is how we're portrayed in reality TV? And that's literally where The Dinner Table was born. Wow. I'm inspired. <laughs> I'm inspired to listening to you speak about this. I'm so glad that you read that. Uh, you said it, you said it was an email or a post. It was a post on Instagram. I like I, I have to go back to my archives because I, I remember I like reposted it <laughs> too at one point because you know it was a contest and at first I was making the film to enter the contest and I missed the deadline, but. I remember just getting the feedback from my professor to keep going, you know, you have a story on your hands. And um, luckily, like while I was editing it and finding out that I missed the deadline, I was in a room full of, you know, really encouraging friends um, who were like, oh, this is good. Like, keep going. So I was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that is so cool. Um, so why do you believe 
it is important to create spaces for young girls of color specifically to connect to each other? Oh man, um, I think it doesn't happen enough. The opportunity for us to really connect and have um, conversations of substance with each other. Um, I think especially in this social media age, it, it's, a, it's a little hard because we're all very distracted, but I mean, even if you take social media out of it, I think there have always been like distractions because there's been television, just a bunch of different things. But um, I think that it's super important because they deserve to know that they are valued for who they are. Mm -hmm. They deserve to know that they are seen and heard and respected. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we don't create these spaces and we just allow them to go through life like without support or feeling like they have a community behind them, um, it it becomes a really it becomes a really difficult battle of self and and how you you know relate to other people and how you help other people. Um, mm. Something that I think about a lot is um, again like I'm a lover of research. So after I created the film and and like the name, the dinner table really started to hit me. Like wow, this this is really good. I was researching why the dinner table is an important space. And apparently there have been so many studies done on students um, from K through, eight, K through 12 who have dinner with their families regularly and mm -hmm. how they are able to navigate conflict resolution. They're able to express themselves. They're, they just possess all of these skills of someone that is very grounded in who they are. And then it made me think about the reality of the fact that I have this, you know, organization that not only creates like a space for you to like meet someone inspirational and, and share a meal, but I'm creating this space where you can feel safe and, and start getting that nurturing where you may not have it at home. Mm -hmm. um, and just from the results that I've seen of the young women that I've worked with over the years, um, lets me know that, you know, it should be done more often, but it's something that needs to happen because it's a it's a crazy world out there and it's really complicated to navigate it as a young black woman especially with all of the obstacles but what i find and what i even use for myself personally is that when i'm grounded in who i am there are no obstacles because regardless of what barriers may exist to stop me because I am who I am and I know what I know and I'm on a mission, there's no one or anything that can stop me from getting to what it is I need to do. Exactly. Super important. Ooh. Um, are you about to say something, Danica? No, I just think that most definitely, I, I believe that Black Women's Healing Circle, um, a Black Women's Healing Circle when I used to help facilitate it in San Diego, um, I, I remember like one of the topics, I think it might've been like, like talking to your childhood self or something. And mm. that's when I recognized that like, we don't, we get to the spaces where we're, we might be in, um, you know, college or we're adults now. And now we're talking about these things, but why wasn't we talking about these things when we were, um, you know, in this elementary and middle and high school mm -hmm. and, and like really putting things in place so that we can, once we get to these levels, we, we can navigate conflict resolution. We can express ourselves more. So I just think it's so important. Yeah, definitely. What do you believe are the challenges to creating spaces for young Black girls? 
Um, definitely implicit bias. Mm-hmm. Um, implicit bias, and sometimes, well, it's twofold. I feel like um, to start, um, sometimes it can be ourselves. So there are certain things that we think we cannot do or we don't believe in ourselves enough to push forward and do. Um, but again, like in working with the young women over the years and, you know, even now, once we break down that barrier of you being your your own obstacle, then it's just people, <laughs> you know, in spaces who don't see the value in you or don't see you for all that you are that try to box you in, you know, and that try to stop you from being the best of what you can be or try to keep you where they think that you belong. Um, and so in those cases, it takes a lot of, again, creating community and creating these strong bonds between women and other allies who can mm-hmm. build bridges so that young women can go again from like who they are to exactly who they want to be without having to face all of those things, um, you know, underneath it. But it, it, people, <laughs> people and their implicit bias can definitely be a big obstacle. Yeah, most definitely. Um, do you believe that young black girls are more influenced by social media than their parents and or their schools and why? Um, it's a little bit of a toss up. I can say yes, yes and no. Um, yes and no. No, because if the young woman is in a home where, again, there's a lot of conversation going on, a lot of dialogue, a lot of empowering of who she is and building her up then social media and those things won't really affect her as much. They still do, but they won't affect her as much. But um, yes, because social media is so in a weird way, like present with you at all times. Um, You know, something that I recognized very early, you know, in developing the research for the organizational part of the dinner table you know, I was just talking to young women about reality TV and their relationship with, you know, a lot of the reality stars, because in my, in my early workshops, I go in like, this show is trash. This person is terrible. (laughs) And they're looking at me horrified. Like, how dare you talk about my girl that, and I'm just like, why do you feel so attached to these people you don't know? But then I'm like, well, how could I, how could I tell them that they don't know these women when they watch them on TV and then you carry them around on your phone all day and you're Mm. updated with their life because they're always updating their life. So you feel these emotional ties to people that you've never met before. And in small ways, if you admire them, you start to emulate their behavior. Um, Especially when there's conflict. I think conflict sometimes is not just a result of someone being in the wrong and someone being in the right a lot of times it's like the warring of egos and the warring of miscommunication and I think that for young women sometimes like when we get into these really tough situations that are uncomfortable and filled with conflict that we can't control our our first instinct is to kind of be the most confident and confident version of ourselves that can defend ourselves. And if you're watching reality TV and the person that you see does that in a way that is, is um, different, <laughs> I'll, I'll use the word um, different and, and a little more like violent, I think you, you would resort to that. So, I mean, of course, like now in 2020, things have developed so much further than just reality television. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I started with that to say that 
it is very hard to be a, a healthy influence in someone's life when you don't live with them as much as someone who's on their phone. Yeah, most definitely. Um, this is not like in the questions that we sent you, but it's a question mm-hmm. I'm thinking about. In thinking about yourself as a young girl and thinking about the girls that you work with, what is one piece of advice or one thing you would tell them or you would tell your younger self or one thing that you find yourself even telling them or one thing you find yourself wanting to tell your younger self? Um, I always tell them that they're worth the space that they take up. Mm. Um, I don't think people believe that enough and even when you're doing great things sometimes when you're in the presence of other people doing great things you make yourself so small Mm -hmm. and there is no rule that says that you have to do that there's there's no rule there's no like code of conduct conduct that says that you know when you're a light and you're in the presence of other lights you have to make yourself small or make yourself like overtly bigger than the situation you are just enough for who you are and you know there is worth and value for you being in any room yes that was great thank you absolutely thank Um, you yeah i think that we we covered we covered some things today um and i know that you kind of just explained you know some some powerful some powerful things there, but if you could give some a takeaway for our listeners, what takeaway would it be? I would say. Or homework. That's sometimes what we call it. Homework. Homework. <laughs> hmm. I would say do something that scares you um, without regret. Mm. And I say that because even now, that's something that I'm I'm learning how to do. Um, I think, you know, as we grow, we have like certain dreams or certain ideas or things that we brush to the side out of fear. Um, But as I step more into myself as a woman and as a Black woman, I realize that there is no room for fear when there is no ceiling, (laughs) Um, as Blue Ivy said. So I would say like, do something that scares you without regret, because what do you have to lose? Hmm. Yes. Most definitely. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Asha, for coming on uh, Black Women Healing Podcast. We're so uh, happy to have you. And I think oh, thank this- you for having me. Absolutely. This topic is so relevant, and the work that you're doing is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Okay. Will you have a rest of your good a good day? Okay. So, um, yeah, this episode is super important. We want to we want to encourage everyone listening to support and create. Try to create some type of space for the younger Black women in your life, and it doesn't have to look like actually you creating an organization. Are you creating an event? It can literally be you going up to a young black girl just telling her that she's beautiful or going up to a young black girl telling her to, uh, you know, um, keep doing the things that she loves to do. Um, So, yeah. And I also, because I know at the beginning of the pod, I asked about that question and I had to research 
I'm sorry to the Alaskans and anybody else who is really uh, loves Alaska. I guess Alaska does have this period where they don't get sunlight or they don't it's a it's a period where they get sunlight consistently and a period where they get like darkness or you know no, no sunlight so i'm so sorry but i learned something today so that's what matters um a book that i'm gonna share that i think is super um important is this book called black girl magic and it is um edited by mahogany l brown Idrissa Simmons and Jamila Woods and it's just the uh, and this is the this is volumes too so it's just a whole bunch of different poems uh by black women some of them kind of going into their childhood some of them into their adulthood but um it just really sheds light on different stories and the different struggles that we go through but also the similarities of them so yeah I encourage y'all to read this book what about you Myra? Uh, speaking of Mahogany L. Brown, I recognize that name, and so I was like, let me Google her real quick. She has a ton of, um, like, different works that y'all can, like, research and read. Um, yeah, this lady is amazing. She has Woke Baby, Smudge, Redbone, I think that's where I know her from, Redbone, Swag, Dear Twitter, Love Letters, Hash Out Online, Unlikely, and Other Sorts, and just her background, like, she's amazing but anyway I knew I knew that name um so in today's episode I mean it's kind of like my realm of stuff like that I do and like my niche so for me I was kind of like hmm yeah like I kind of know these things um but if I could add something it would just be that if you feel like there is something that you missed as a kid you gotta create it like no matter what you have to create it because if it's being brought up again like you're seeing it again like for example I know, like, when I went away to college, there were so many things where I was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know this. I don't know that. And I was starting to find my friends didn't know it either. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go back to my community and make sure that other people do know it. So if you notice that there's something that you didn't know that you wish you knew, if you can go back and make that happen in any type of way, I feel like that's super important. Um, and yeah, I like how Danica was like, just tell, like, a young Black woman she's beautiful, um, compliment them, things like that, help out where you can. Um, I don't know if I have any resources this week. Do you have any? Do we share resources? Girl, you are the resource. <laughs> Shut up. Because my Ruby really downplaying herself. My has a whole organization dedicated to the support of not only some Black little. women. What you say? Some little. <laughs> and it's been going on for five years. Yeah, it'll be six in December. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> is the resource. Yeah, homegirl is. This is the work that she's doing, and it's it's so important. And if you ever in the Inglewood area, please contact her and ask her, can you attend one of Fem Scholar meetings? Because the Fem Scholar meetings be lit, y'all. It's the most powerful thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> be prepared to so, cry. <laughs> right. Be cool. Be prepared to cry. <laughs> But it's a good cry, usually. <laughs> right. All right, y'all. So, do we have... Oh, one more thing. Yeah. Oh. So, due to the coronavirus, um, I know on our last episode, we shared some tips and some things to kind of keep your mind at ease and to take care of yourself. But um, a lot of stuff is being canceled. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in the midst of cancel culture. <laughs> okay. But... <laughs> 
wrong. We got to laugh. We got to laugh about the thing. Yeah, definitely. But so we had an event that we were, uh, that we were, we were hosting a workshop in on April 4th uh, at the COCO conference. And they have canceled the event due to the coronavirus and also just wanting to make sure that their guests are comfortable. Um, so if you already bought a ticket, I, I would suggest you to reach out to them if you was thinking about it. We're sorry that, you know, it's not going to happen, but they are planning on, you know, rescheduling it. Um, I guess shedding light to people whose events probably are being canceled and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that it's happening, but, you know, let's hope that we can reschedule, hopefully in the future, some of these events and take in the present moment. You know, we don't have control over it. So like Myra was saying in the last episode, just really taking home on this moment to breathe and decompress from everything that, you know, life, we're continuously going, going, going. So I feel like this is one of those things that's like, <laughs> forcing you to you you don't get to go 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 you kind of got to chill right now so just accept it um how are you coping with um all these things getting canceled oh i don't like it <laughs> yeah i'm a very i'm a structured type of person i like my stuff to when i schedule something i like it to go a certain way and especially when you schedule like months out um, but I think this is just a reality check. It's something I've been, I literally have been working on being in the present moment, trying to stop, uh, scheduling my whole year out when it doesn't work like that all the time. And sometimes you need to feel back and you got to be still, and you could be missing more opportunities by moving so quick and having all these things on a schedule. So as much as I don't like it, I accept it. Yeah. What about you personally? I honestly hate it um, because I have, I always set in place vacations and things to do to give me something to look forward to. So over the past month, I was like, I'm going to work my ass off. So I was like working extra, extra hard for this vacation. And then now the vacation is canceled. I'm like, I ain't doing nothing. So I've been turning stuff in the day of that they're due, doing stuff when I feel like it, which is really bad. But I'm just like, this is not fair. I'm going to do what I want to do. So everything has just been like, when I feel like doing it, how I feel like doing it, you don't like it, oh well. Which <laughs> is really bad. This is really but, good for you. <laughs> I've been so annoyed, but whatever. You need that, because you always, like you said, like, you always doing the most, so it's, it's kind of good. Yeah. All right, y'all, that is it for this week's episode of Black Women's Healing Pod. We look forward to engaging with y'all. Make sure you rate our podcast, leave a comment, and share with us what you want to hear about. Um, So we'll be back again soon. Bye.